Hey, I have some great news for you. I did not come here to preach at you. Uh, I would like to talk to you, though, and I want you to participate in our discussion together. Uh, David had a good class on uh, Friday morning, and if uh, you were not able to be there, and probably you weren't, because probably you have a life. Now, David didn't have a life, so he showed up, okay? But he did a great job of talking about uh, serving the Lord as a single person. And I would really encourage you to go back to find that somewhere and, uh, and watch that or listen to that because I thought he really did a great job. One of the things I enjoyed about that class, David, is how you opened it up and let other people participate in the discussion. And I thought you handled it really well when somebody in the class kind of wanted to talk a little bit too much. And you handled that very gracefully. Uh, you're very skilled at doing that, David. I appreciate that class that you had. Um, I'm really uh, thrilled that you're here because I am afraid that in our culture, people your age get a bad rap. And uh, I'm going to ask you to think out loud with me here for a little bit about some of the things that the culture generally, and even sometimes people in the church, how they think negatively about people in your age group. So give me um, a characteristic that you know or you've heard people assign to folks in your age group. Entitlement. What's the word? Entitlement. Entitlement, okay. Yeah, and there are people who are entitled. Okay, give me another one. Immaturity, okay. Well, what do you expect? How much life experience have you had? I mean, it's kind of not fair to expect a whole lot of maturity when you haven't had a whole lot of life experience. But yeah, sometimes immaturity is assigned to this age group. Uh, how about another? Needy. Quality. Needy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But aren't we all, yeah. you know, at, at any age in our life? I'd like for you to look at your life as um, a series of seasons and you're in a season of your life right now. And down the road, um, if the Lord permits you to be able to go down the road a good ways, you're going to look back at this as a different time in your life. Because down the road, you're going to be in another season. Just like previous to where you are now, you were in another season. Now what I'd like for you to think about is at your age, in this particular season in your life, What's the church need from you? There was another class, the flip side of this, and it was about what you need from the church. This one's about what the church needs from you. So we're going to be talking a lot about uh, responsibility, and I want you to do this in a way where we can talk about this uh, out loud together. I call it thinking out loud together. Let me ask you to turn to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I wanted to make sure that we give the context to this text. I'm not sure we can fully appreciate any uh, particular section of Scripture unless we kind of step back and take a more panoramic perspective. 1 Corinthians was written to uh, a messed up church. Uh, not that there's any that doesn't have issues, but this really was a messed up church. Uh, they had just a lot of problems. Uh, they weren't getting along. 
there were a lot of relationship issues. Uh, people were taking one another to law. Uh, there was pride. There was inconsideration for other people. Uh, it was just a very difficult church life situation. And he writes about a lot of those issues in 1 Corinthians, trying to help them to become less of a mess. Let me tell you what, what I, the way I look at the church, it's a massive mess because all of us are a mess. All of us have baggage. No matter what age we are, uh, and no matter what we've been through in our life, we all have baggage. Some people's baggage is a little less than others, but some people's baggage is really big and really heavy. But all of us are a mess. We all have our personal issues. There's nobody that's got everything just their ducks in a row perfectly. So when you get a bunch of us together who are a mess, then you've got a mass of a mess. Now, some churches are a bigger mass of a mess than other churches. And 1 Corinthians falls in that category of, of a church that was really very messy. So among the things that he talks about in 1 Corinthians is this problem they're having with spiritual gifts. God had gifted them some really special treats that were to be a blessing to the church. But instead of these things being blessings to the church, they end up using these blessings of these miraculous spiritual gifts and actually created more problems for the church instead of it being a blessing to the church. And a lot of it had to do uh, with their attitudes. Their attitudes about themselves and their attitudes about others. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the chapter starts out by saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, he's going to talk about uh, spiritual gifts, and in chapter 12 and 13 and 14, here's basically uh, what he's doing. He is saying to them, there's a whole bunch of spiritual gifts, and not all of you have the spiritual gifts that you want. Maybe some of you don't have any spiritual gifts, and some of you have some spiritual gifts that other people covet. And there are really stresses and strains with you in regard to these spiritual gifts. And he said, I want to change your paradigm. I want to change the way you are thinking about these spiritual gifts as they relate to you guys as a group of people. So he begins with this uh, a metaphor, and it starts in verse 12. And here's what I uh, want us to uh, read through and think out loud together about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the metaphor starts in verse 12. And it's a metaphor that compares the Corinthian church with a physical body. For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Have you noticed so far that this word one, O-N-E, keeps popping up? One, one, one. See, they're not united because of these spiritual gifts and the way they're viewing them and the way they're using them. And he's trying to help them to see that, look, we need to think of this from the broader perspective. We need to think of this with the big picture in mind. And so then pick up, if you would, at verse 15. If the foot should say, Behold, I am not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, 
where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he is pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our presentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now I want you, in this passage, in comparing the Corinthian church with a physical body, I want you to look at this passage and identify five body parts. Go. Somebody give me one. There's five of them. Ear, eye, hand, ear, eye, hand, smelling is reference, so nose, foot, five body parts. Now when you look at these five uh, body parts, why does he bring them up? Why does he bring up different body parts? To connect them all. Because they're connected, aren't they? They're all connected. Just like the body has parts that are connected, he's telling them, hey, you may have a bunch of different spiritual gifts. And some people maybe don't have any spiritual gifts. And some of you may not have the spiritual gift that you want the most. And you may be struggling with this, but you've got to realize that you need to stick together. You are one body. Now, apply that to uh, the Lord's church that you're a part of. Are all of you a member here at Neiman Avenue? Okay. There are a bunch of different kinds of people who are members of the Neiman Avenue Church. Okay. You are a certain kind of member in this body. And the kind of member you are differs from other people in this church. What part can you play in the body functioning as a whole. What part can you play? Now you can't play uh, all the parts because for instance when the Bible talks about uh, elders in 1 Timothy he talks about older guys. He doesn't just talk about all more mature men, he talks about more mature men who are married. So not even all guys can be elders. So there are there are limitations. There, there are things that you, you can't do. But what can you do? So what I'd like for you to think about uh, with me out loud is what can a person do who's a young adult in the body of Christ that would matter? Now I think one of the points that he makes in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 in that passage is the fact that every member matters. I don't know if you've known anybody who uh, has had a physical problem 
where they had to have an amputation. Um, probably one of the smartest guys I ever met was a physicist for Firestone Tire and Rubber Company in Akron, Ohio. And he developed a diabetic condition really bad after he had retired. And that diabetic condition got so bad that he had to have a leg removed. Now, the grief involved in that, uh, the loss of a limb, uh, I just, I can't relate to that. I can't imagine uh, how difficult that, that adjustment would be. But think about how that he became limited because he lost a leg. He couldn't do everything that he had used to do. As a matter of fact, when I would go to his house and when I would open up the front door, the first thing that stared me in the face was a set of steps. I thought, oh man, how in the world is this guy going to negotiate this situation? Well, you know, fortunately, we've developed the science where we can have these seats that can go up steps and people can be helped. So he was helped to do something he used to be able to do, but now he can't. The point I'm trying to make is there are things that you can't do at this season of your life, but there's also things you can do in this season of your life. And what you can do matters. What you can do can be a valuable contribution to how the whole body functions together as a group. Now, I want to ask you in, the, in line of that about how even among, even among young adult people, how that there are differences within young adult people. Now, right here in this room, they're male and female. Now, think about some other distinctions in regard to this season in your life. Besides male and female, what are some other differences within the culture of the young adults? Home lives, like you're talking about people's home life. Okay, people's home life. Some people's home life is, is really good. You know, it, it's very comfortable, uh, very peaceful, uh, functional life. And then you've heard about dysfunctional families. And uh, by the way, uh, whenever we get a group of people together and, and we're worshiping on Sunday morning, you know, typically the biggest attendance of our church experience, we're really naive if we think that every family represented in that room is a happy, healthy home life. We're naive if we think that. Because a lot of times the baggage that we have is really hidden baggage. It's secret baggage. Uh, we're not very transparent sometimes about what's really going on in our life. We don't want other people to think down on us. So a lot of times we will not share what we're struggling with in our life. And that's true in regard to our family. So we've got young adults who have family issues that are, are pretty serious. And then you've got young adults who are living in homes that are very stable and very peaceful. So give me another distinction within the young adult culture. Yes, sir. Uh, whether or not you're in school or have a job. Okay. Uh, some young adults, uh, they went straight into the workforce. Uh, some young adults went into some sort of a vocational training. Uh, some young adults went into the college setting. There's a big difference between uh, those kinds of people. Those kinds of lives are very, very different. See, even within that season of your, your life that's called young adult, even within that season, there's diversity or differences. Just like in the human body, you know, there's a hand, you know, there's a foot, you know, there's a nose. The same thing is true in regard to that culture. Now, how about marital status within the young adult culture? 
engaged some people, or married or not. Some people are engaged. Some people single. single. Some people married. married. Some people divorced. Do, do you know there are young adults who are divorced? You don't have to be middle-aged to be divorced. There are young adults who made some not so good decisions and married people that they shouldn't marry or maybe married at a bad time in their life and their marriage ended real soon. So you've got that and then do you know that there are also widowed people who are young adults? Who's the oldest person in this room besides me of course? Who's the oldest person in this room? David, you're the old man. Okay, David, how old are you? 25. Okay, you're 25. Uh, can you imagine in your 20s or 30s already being widowed? One of the amazing things about the ministry that um, my family and I started, the Widowhood Workshop Ministry, the most amazing people that I've met are females in their 20s and 30s who've lost their husbands. They are just amazing. When I stop and think about what I was like in my 20s and 30s, if I'd gone through some sort of brutal loss like they had, I cannot imagine reacting to it the way they have. I met so many young ladies all over the country who have lost their husbands because of a suicide, or because of a disease, or because of an auto accident. The heartbreak that's involved in that is hard for me to relate to. I can relate a little bit better to somebody who's older, who's been married a few decades, who's lost their spouse. I can do a little bit better job of relating to them. I just cannot relate to young adults who've lost their spouses. I bring all that up to point out the fact that even in, in that culture of the young adults, there are all kinds of different people within that particular culture of the young adult age group, that season of your life. Now what I want you to think about is, okay, what can you do with your life at this age, in this season of your life, that could bring glory to God and could be of help to other people? What could you do to be a blessing to others or glorify God in this season of your life. You have some suggestions? For me personally, uh, because of the season of life I'm in, I'm not like the most scripturally sound, but I do have a sound, like a, a physically sound body to where I can do like things that maybe your older population can't in church. So mm -hmm. you can serve people in physical ways. Uh, energy is a big one that I think of because I feed off of other people's energy a lot. Okay. I think uh, sometimes bringing an energy to the church is Good. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, there are people at, I guarantee you, there are people in this church who would love to have some help from somebody who had more energy than they did. One of the difficult things, now, I, I walk a thousand, my goal is always to walk a thousand miles every year. That's, and that's really not that hard to do. You know, 365 days, three miles a day, you can miss a couple of months and still hit the uh, thousand mile mark. You know, so I try to stay active. But even though I try to stay active and try to stay healthy, I still, I can, I can, I just don't have enough gas in the tank anymore to do all the things that I used to do in the past. And there are people at church here who would uh, really love 
to see somebody uh, enter into their life and provide some assistance for some things that they really are not very good at doing or can't do because they don't have nearly enough energy. And the boost and the encouragement that you can give to other people by doing that sort of thing. And to you, it may not be a big deal. You know, to you, it might just be maybe a couple hours of your day. But to them, it's a huge thing because they see it as something they cannot do. And sometimes they don't have the money to help hire somebody to do it. And sometimes they have the money, but they don't want to shell out the money. Okay? Uh, some of us, as we get older, get cheap. And we have problems investing in people helping us do things. But to have people to enter into their life and volunteer to help people is, is a really great blessing. When I was at the Hartville, Ohio Church for 33 years, one of the things that we did, in, uh, to a great extent, was a part of our Last Leaders Leader X program, because we had a lot of kids who uh, got involved in the Good Samaritan program and wanted to be of service to other people. And so one of the things that we did was we had, uh, on occasion, these work times, these, these work sessions. Often it was on a Saturday. And we would pick out uh, a few older people, and the kids would all go there and take, for instance, uh, wash windows. Do you know how infrequently older people wash windows? And, and there are also some people who really are not that old, but still they don't wash windows because they just don't have much energy anymore. Just going and helping somebody at their house is a real boost to their morale, the people's morale who are older because somebody is caring enough and showing that care by helping them out. It's something that you can do that other people can't do. Yeah, give me something else that you could do that could bring glory to God by helping other people. You know what a, what a neat thing it is to watch somebody, and I've seen it even here this weekend, when a teenager gets up in that big honking pulpit in this big room with a bunch of people staring at them, and they're sharing a message that they prepared. Do you know what an encouragement that is to people who are older? Because the sad reality is sometimes as we get older, we kind of get uh, cranky and critical. And when, when we see people who are young people who are getting up there and doing that kind of thing, it really is a source of encouragement. It makes you think, man, there is hope. Things can really be good in the future if we have people like, like that guy. Now, there's also girl things. You know, I think it's really important that we don't just put an emphasis on, on guy things. There are girl things. Girls, can you think of anything that you could do that would really bring glory to God and be a help to other people? Teach. Teach. There uh, is a Teach to Teach program with the Last Believers Leader X program. I just, I love that program. My kids, all three of my daughters grew up in that program. I think one of the reasons why uh, they have the spirit of independence they do and the success they do in the, in the business world and in the adult world has a lot to do with the experience they had in the last Leaders Leader S program. And uh, I have two of my granddaughters who have been involved in that Teach to Teach program. You know, learning how to teach other people. And when older adults see younger people 
learning, willing to learn, and putting some time and effort into that, it's just a real boost to, to the morale of other people. It's a great encouragement. The thing I love about, where does Lehman Avenue go in regard to the last Leaders Leader X program? Do you go to Nashville? Okay. Uh, that's where we went for years. Uh, we were the first church in Ohio to ever have the last Leaders Leader X program. We brought Dr. Jack Zorn up there. We kicked it off, had a big deal. It just flourished, and we had churches who called us and said, man, how in the world did you start this program? You know, we see all this good that you're doing. But for years, for the first several years of our program up there, we drove all the way down to Nashville, uh, a little over 500 miles, and participated in the convention there. One of the elders of the Hartville, Ohio church uh, said to me, he said, you know, he said, coming down to this convention and seeing all these kids doing all this good stuff and being recognized for what they're doing, he said, you know, even if you don't even know them personally, it is such an encouragement to see that. Remember the, remember the line in uh, the first Spider-Man where the uncle said to Spider-Man, with great responsibility, can you finish it? Or no, with great power, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, with, with great youthfulness, comes great power. When you do the things that are bringing glory to God, that are obviously ministries and service as it relates to other people, and people, other people see that, that's a powerful influence. Because a lot of times people jump to the conclusion that young people, well, to put it bluntly, uh, young people sometimes get a really bad rap. And they get these uh, stereotypical things said of them. And it's because of all that negative thinking. When they see positive young people, uh, teenagers and young adults, participating actively and bringing glory to God by trying to serve the Lord and helping other people, it just is a tremendous encouragement to other people. And isn't that a lot of what we're supposed to do as Christians? Encourage one another. Edify and encourage one another. Uh, can you give me something else that... Anybody who's a young adult might do to be a part of the church, bring glory to God, and help other people. It's to minister to other people your age, like around people our age, because uh, sometimes, um, I, I'll be honest with you, I get tired of hearing older people tell me what to do most of the time. And, uh, <laughs> this is confession, but, okay. But you, but you hear <laughs> When you hear it from somebody your age that's going through the same thing you are at that current moment in time, it means a little bit more sometimes. Yeah. One of the things that we don't do enough in the church, and I, I would really encourage you as a young adult to develop this ability, find people in your life with whom you will share anything. Now, that's transparency is what it is. Now, you do have to be careful about who these people are. But one of the signs of closeness in a relationship is transparency. The more that we are transparent with other people, the more we will be drawn together in our relationships. The less we know about one another, the more distant we are going to be in our relationships. And when we are transparent about our struggles, it's then that often people can be the most help to us, especially those people who are going through the same or similar things. 
Uh, it could be an issue with pornography. Who's going to help that person who's struggling with that addiction? Well, how about a person who also has struggled with that particular problem and knows something about what that's like? You know, you take a, a person who's been uh, struggling with their attitude and is really having a very difficult time in regard to their attitude with their parents or their attitude in regard to people in general. Who can be of help to that person? Well, how about a person who has struggled with that and maybe have gotten better because of it? But the way we're going to help other people is finding out who it is that's having these issues. And are we willing to admit that we've had the same or similar issues? Sometimes we can become private to a fault. We don't want other people to know what's going on in our life, especially what's gotten awry or messed up in our life. Yes? Uh, just speaking about that situation, um, like the thing that was taught to me and was really true is that sin is like a virus that like thrives in the dark, like out of <laughs> you know being in the light, just putting it out there. Because when you put it out there, it's harder to do it. Because um, I'd say there's a shame, like mm -hmm. you know, that obviously comes with it when you put it out in the open. But also, just like you know, viruses really don't thrive in the light. Mm -hmm. So something that I really struggled with for a long time was you know staying in the dark being close with my sin mm -hmm. and um, it, it was definitely people that struggled with those same things that told me that to you know, just get it out of my life secrets can become uh, terrible burdens when we are unwilling to admit to other people now sometimes we're even unwilling to admit to ourselves sometimes we can go on for years struggling with something and just live in denial. Denial may be a happy place for us for a while, we think, but actually denial is not a definitely not a healthy place to live. When we get things uh, more in the open, in the light, like you mentioned, it's far more likely we're going to be able to handle things constructively and get to a better place in our life. But a lot of times the reason why we're hesitant to share the struggles that we're having with other people is we're embarrassed by those. And we feel very uncomfortable about letting other people know about where we're vulnerable and where we're struggling. Now, I do think, like I hinted at previously, I do think that especially when you're a young adult, you have to be careful about who it is that you're transparent with. But at the same time, it's also important for us to have those kind of people in our life. One of the ways that you can reduce the risks of being transparent with other people is the first, if you've not done this much in your life yet, first find somebody who's older than you are, maybe even significantly older than you are, and then be transparent with them first. Somebody that you're more likely to be able to trust because they have more years of experience, and they've proven themselves over the years to be a faithful Christian, and you have confidence that you know that they'll do right by you, whatever that is, but they'll do right by you because they really do care about you, if you have somebody in your life like that that can help you, then that kind of person is a low-risk person to be sharing your personal struggles with. Uh, let's be honest about it. With the two genders that we have and the obvious 
instinctive interest that we have in one another. There's a lot of struggles that, that females have. There are struggles that males have. And these struggles, a lot of times, are not talked about in a very public setting. And I guess it's because we feel very uncomfortable about it. I, I had that particular problem in my ministry. Uh, who likes to talk about loss? You know, who likes to talk about grief? Who likes to talk about you know, agonizing with the difficult times in your life? Uh, what is it that we, what do we human beings do typically if we're in the midst of something that makes us uncomfortable or, or brings us pain or grief, what do we do? We just back away, don't we? Because that, you know, we're kind of like the water, you know, we go to the place of least resistance. We, we back away from things sometimes because it, it feels uh, very uncomfortable for us to be in that particular situation. Your greatest growth will come in your discomfort. Your greatest growth in your life will not come in your comfort zone. Now, you're living, sadly, and it's it's the older adult's fault, to be honest with you. I assume some blame in this. But you're growing up in a, in a culture that doesn't like to be forthright, um, doesn't like to be forthcoming, and we've created this uh, culture where it's such a risk, you feel as if you're going to be condemned if you bring up an issue that you're struggling with in your life. You can change that in your personal life. You cannot change the world, but in your personal life, you can change and have a different attitude. I would hope that with some of you at least, you'd have a relationship with your parents where you could talk to your parents about some of these things. But I also realize that there are some things that my three daughters, you know, they're all three faithful members of the Lord's Church. You know, they're married to Christians. Uh, I deeply appreciate their faithfulness and all that. But there were things when, when they were growing up at home and in their young adult years, when they were in their college years and shortly after, there were things that they weren't going to talk to me about them. They weren't going to talk to their mother about them. But they did have people in their life that they could talk to. And having people like that in your life, see, that is one way that in the body of Christ, what we're doing is somebody's being a, a listener. You know, in the Bible, there's the laying on of hands. Well, there's a ministry that you could perform that's called the laying on of ear. And anybody can do it. Become a good listener for somebody else. You be the kind of person who is trustworthy, where somebody can come and share what they're struggling with, and they can feel comfortable doing that, as comfortable as they can doing that, because they know that, that you're not going to share that information in an inappropriate way. Now, one thing that I think you know, we also need to remember is that if you're the kind of person who's a, a listener, a good listener, and somebody comes to you with something that they're struggling with, there could be a legal issue involved. If somebody shares uh, with you that there's something of an illegal nature going on, then you become, as a Christian, you become responsible to deal with that. Uh, Romans chapter 13 talks about being submissive to the lower, uh, submissive to the higher powers, because we're citizens where there's higher power. In 1 Peter 2.13, it talks about being subject to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. There are sometimes legal responsibilities where you might find yourself, you know, talking to somebody who's who's uh, dealing drugs. Um, what what is in their best interest? If they're dealing drugs, what's in their best interest? 
for you to keep that silent and I know you have to be careful about how you handle that but if you know that kind of things going on isn't the best thing for them that they be confronted with that issue in an appropriate way and not permit it just to go on as if you know again live in denial choose denial but you can provide a, a great thing in the church because everything in the culture we're living in, I'm, I'm pretty well convinced of this, everything that we're living with in our culture, and I'm talking about all the bad stuff, you know, the sinful stuff, it's probably present in the church, just in a lesser degree. I hope that when we find out that it's there in the church, that we'll deal with it, though. That's the difference between the church and the world. In the church, when we find out that there's a need to be addressed, it could be a need to encourage somebody who's depressed or discouraged. It could be the need to confront somebody who's doing something that's you know, not right or illegal. Hopefully, when we find those kinds of things out in the church, we care enough for one another that we're willing to participate in helping those people. Uh, I want to ask you to uh, listen to a part of the book I want to read to you as we need to close because of our time. For many years, my wife and I, we, my wife and I, we were married for 41 years, and we were blessed to be at the same church for uh, 33 and a third years, exactly a third of a century. And during that period of time, uh, there were a lot of kids who grew up in the church who, uh, when they graduated from high school, one of the things that we would do is give them a gift. And one of the gifts that we got them, especially uh, in the early 2000s, uh, was this book uh, by James Dobson. It's called Life on the Edge. A Young Adult's Guide to a Meaningful Future. You can you could get this book probably for a couple dollars on a used uh, book website of some sort. But even though it was written in the, about 1998-1999 in that time frame, this is an excellent book for young adults. I wanted to read to you a section of this book because I think that uh, this particular book has some things that uh, really are worth thinking very seriously about. Um, this book has a chapter in it about emotions. It has a chapter in it about uh, anger. It has a chapter in it about money uh, management. Uh, this particular chapter that I'm going to uh, read a section of, it's uh, called the the keys to a lifelong love and I know in the young adult time in your life uh, that's something that you do think about you think about the possibility of sometime getting married now let me read to you a section of this book the tragedy of modern families is how frequently they break up no one knows for sure what the probabilities of divorce are but they are far too high we hear often that 50% of marriages end in divorce but that estimate is based on faulty information what we do know for certain is that marriage is a risky enterprise that must be entered into with great care. It can result either in lifelong companionship or some of the most bitter experiences in living. Whether or not you have a fulfilling, meaningful life, a fulfilled or meaningful marriage, or one that's not like that, depends on your choices. Many of those choices are made when you're a young adult that will affect the rest of your life. He calls the age between 16 and 26, uh, James Dobson calls that the critical decade of life. 
The reason why he calls it that is because when you stop and think about it, between 16 and 26, nowadays I would say more like 16 to 30, you're making decisions that are really huge. You're making decisions about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. A job. Whether or not you go to school. You're moving out away from your parents. Hopefully you're thinking very seriously about becoming a disciple of Jesus. You're making really extremely important decisions that are going to affect the rest of your life. So during that period of time, if you want to have a full and rich and meaningful life, it is a risky business. Living is a risky business. And what you want to do is you want to lower those risks. The best way to lower those risks is to become an active part of the body of Jesus and let Jesus be seen in you. What the church needs of you is a functional faithfulness. The church needs of you to be a part, an active, functional part of the church. And you can do that with people who are your age. You can interact with people younger than you are. You can interact with people who are older than you are. And you can be a functionally faithful part of the body of Jesus. You don't have to wait until later in life. You can be that right now. Let's spend a minute in prayer. Then we'll finish. Father, thank you for the chance to think out loud together about some really important things. Thank you for every life and every heart that's in this room. We pray, Father, that you bless them with wisdom to make really good decisions during this very important time in their life. Father, we pray that our lives will bring glory to you. We pray that we will choose to love you more than anything or anybody else in our life. And we pray, Father, that you will use us to be of service to others. Help us, Father, to find ways, sometimes by trial and error, but help us to find ways to bring glory to you by being of service to others right now in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you very much for uh, coming to this class. I know that uh, this is the uh, last session of the day, and if you've been here uh, earlier today or in previous days, uh, it's been a grueling experience. Uh, it is a, a long grueling experience. Uh, David, I think you need to get time and a half for overtime for this weekend. Thanks guys for coming to class. Thank you.